So this morning, at least morning in New York and this afternoon in, in, in Europe um, and in England, <laughs> I forgot. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to, to talk about um, uh, the power of love to transform suffering and all of the ways in which we work with, uh, with compassion to, um, to be with what is a natural part of this human life. Uh, we call it suffering. And sometimes I feel the word suffering is um, a little bit heavy because we think when I think of suffering, I think of all of the really profound insults to being in a physical body, especially, but also to having a mind and having a heart. Um, and so suffering can be uh, anywhere from the mildest of, of pains or itches to really profound uh, human suffering that comes from loss and um, contention and all of the ways in which we are as human beings vulnerable in this body with this mind and this heart. So we do have visitors coming and going and moments of clarity and insight, <clears throat> moments of difficulties, and these qualities of heart can be found not outside ourselves, but they are innate qualities, who we naturally are, whether it's the, the feeling of suffering or the feeling of joy or how, what the whole, um, the whole range of human, human feelings and emotions and, um, insults and compliments to being in a body and being human. So they are our birthright, these qualities of, in the Brahma Viharas that we're talking about. Um, and so we, instead of thinking that we are um, discovering these qualities of, of joy and compassion and and all of the way and equanimity and all of the ways in which we can uh, delight in being human, we, we uncover our obstacles to our knowing them or to manifesting them. And with metta, uh, the basic nature of the heart shows itself, a heart of kindness, a heart of love. And when this morning, I'm going to talk about uh, compassion. What happens when the heart encounters suffering? What happens uh, then is the emanation of the heart is compassion. Whether the suffering is of our own or of the world, our natural response is compassion. It's care and concern. Now, there may be obstacles to that compassion, which we'll talk about a little bit, but actually this arising of compassion comes from the fact that because we suffer, we know the suffering of others. So compassion with suffering, compassion. We, we join with it because we know it so well in our own experience. But this quality of heart, of compassion arises when it, 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 it arises naturally when we turn our kind attention to pain and to difficulty. What we have in common as human beings is that none of us wants to suffer. We all want to be happy. And we know that very, very clearly. And yet we carry the pain 
and the grief and the loss that are quite natural to the process of life. It's not that something has gone wrong when we find ourselves suffering. You may have noticed that already just in our practice together in these uh, yesterday and now today. Those of you who are um, ahead of us in time have had more hours to observe. But those of us who are in America know the also know the experience so very well. So in Taoism, the Taoists call it the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, because this is our life. It's not a mistake or because we've done something wrong or we haven't figured it out or we didn't get the key to life. This is what happens when we take on a body. We get the 10,000 joys and we get the 10,000 sorrows. You may have noticed if you've looked around at your friends and your family and you've had your own experiences in your own life, not one of us, that certainly nobody I know, is outside the pain of life. It's, of course, it's always very comforting to me when I read the stories of the Buddha um, having back pain after his enlightenment. <laughs> Right? So it's not as if we are traveling towards this enlightened state that somehow, um, you know, all our troubles will be gone. So this quality of compassion is really so useful, so helpful, so um, uh, seminal to being human. Uh, there, there are many uh, texts in which the Buddha calls Ananda, his, his attendant, and says, you take the Dharma talk tonight because I have backache. I'm, I'm gonna go lie down. So this is the first noble truth of the Buddha, that there is suffering. There is suffering in life. Before, uh, before noble truths uh, that the Buddha taught after his awakening, that there is, that there is pain, there is suffering. That's the first, that's the per first truth. And the first teaching he gave was on these basic truths. So dukkha is the Pali word, translated more often as unsatisfactoriness, and most often as suffering. And the second is that there is a cause for dukkha. That, and we summarize the teaching uh, which is you know, more detailed and more, more, perhaps more profound than this, but that, uh, that the cause is the mind that clings, the mind that craves. And the third noble truth is that there is an end, that suffering can cease. Hallelujah, that's the good news. And then the fourth, that there is a path to that cessation. And he made laid out a path called, as we, most of us know, and, and I imagine probably, it's really the majority of us know that there is a path to that cessation. And so he, he laid out this noble eightfold path. So today we're addressing the capacity, the, um, the innate capacity of the heart to respond to, this first, to the first truth that there is suffering in life. And I, I'm pretty sure that there is nobody on this call, on this uh, meeting together that um, doesn't know the, uh, the experience of suffering. That we've suffered loss, we've suffered pain, we've suffered illness, We've suffered rejection. We've, we've suffered abuse. We've suffered all kinds of losses of things and people that we love. We've suffered by not getting what we want and by getting what we don't want and losing. We've been betrayed by people that we trust. We've been betrayed by our government. And in so many ways, our hearts have been 
truly broken. So just to take that in for a moment before we rush to um, considering compassion, just this, that we find ourselves together in this human life with all of the pain and the sorrow, the rejection, the abuse, the loss, the losses. And that this is a very human experience. This is not a mistake or somehow that we've not done it right or we've not done it, we've not done it perfectly. But that because we live and we inhabit this body, this heart, this mind, we get hurt. So the practice of compassion is we turn the lens of kindness, the heart of metta and uh, the heart of Udita as Martin so beautifully taught this morning, this heart that we are cultivating uh, as we come together with mindfulness practice, we're cultivating it. We're being aware of um, the love that we feel and the kindness that we feel. We're, we've contemplated equanimity. We've contemplated being even with, what, with the ups and downs of life, becoming, having some way of balancing ourselves, whether, whether it's up or down. To come, to come back to the middle. And Martine has so beautifully taught us about um, Medita and how to, how to work with appreciative joy, appreciating not just our own happiness or our own successes, but actually appreciating the success and the happiness of all with whom we come into contact or even just even those we can think about. So today talking about the practice of compassion is turning the lens of metta and see how we can bring gentle and kind attention to all of the experiences we meet. So including suffering so that we are not excluding anything, not thinking that we can keep this and push that away because we're human. And so we encounter all of these ways in which um, the world um, has some influence on us. So that's the external world, but also how our internal workings and perhaps even our history has some influence and sometimes brings suffering. So we open our heart of compassion, a heart of kindness and love when we are presented with our own pain and also with the pain of others. And this can bring profound transformation. We are not only carrying our own pain, but we are also carrying the pain of the world because we can never be disconnected from it. Even if we feel disconnected from it, we are always connected to the world and to its pain. We're not disconnected from our respective countries. We're not dis disconnected from wars in the Middle East or in Africa. And we're not disconnected from the violence in our own streets, especially in America, where we've had so much upheaval and so much pain and uh, the witnessing of violence. So we're not disconnected uh, from any of that. No matter who we are or what our station is in life, no matter 
where we see the pain and the suffering, no matter what identity we decide to take on, our ancestry, our orientation, our gender, our economic class, all the ways in which we make ourselves smaller than we actually are, we can never fall out of the web of life to which we inevitably and inexorably belong. It's not possible. We can try, but it's not possible. So if you practice, as, you, as you're practicing all day, every day with our, um, with our group here, but especially if you've been practicing for a while, you know the transformation that is possible. Through your transformation, there comes transformation in our families, in our communities, and in our country and in our world. We're part of the history <clears throat> of the human race where cruelty is woven into the fabrics of our societies. And perhaps, you know, the forms of cruelty have morphed and transformed over the, over the centuries, but it's still that cruelty that lives in the human heart. In America, we are here with um, so many oppressive threads and so many ways of um, not being uh, careful and concerned about the least of us, those who have the most um, difficulties, whether temporary or somewhat um, stickily. And it's descending now as we can see disdain and blame, at least in America, for the most unfortunate among us. There seems to be a kind of callous indifference uh, to suffering. And I'll just pause for a moment for you to take that in. Because it certainly in America, it's permeated our public discourse and has become bombastic and cruel. I don't know how it is for you across the pond, but certainly that's the way it is here. So I don't want to um, stay on all of the issues and these ways in which we are um, suffering. But we know that our hearts can close if we're not vigilant. And there is not an explicit intention for us to have an awareness, an awareness of the movements of our hearts away from the suffering because we're afraid we'll become overwhelmed by it. And compassion has the spontaneous arising of spontaneous arising in the face of suffering. So I'll say that again, compassion has a way of spontaneously arising in the face of suffering because the human heart somehow knows that that is the appropriate response. And that's what prevents us from moving or turning away and what allows us to use the lens of kindness to be with suffering. So just consider that for a moment. So we may, when we think about suffering, we may think about it in a personal way because as human beings, we certainly know what suffering is. But in this 
contemplation of compassion, we move from the personal to the universal. And we know that when we do that, the heart gets larger. It is a, as it is as it is enlarged to take in the suffering of the world, it also is enlarged to be able to meet it. We certainly see personally how we suffer in our losses, our own personal losses. We see it in the lives of our friends and our families and our colleagues and our students and our teachers and the losses we've all suffered. And we also see universal suffering. So I'll tell you a short story about uh, being on a retreat, a long retreat several, several years ago. And a friend of mine was also sitting and she left halfway through the retreat. And I, um, I went to just embrace her and say goodbye as she was, she was leaving. And, and I, she asked me if there was anything I, she wanted, I wanted to send to, because I'd been in retreat for a long time, if there was any message that I wanted to send to my husband, John, that she would be willing to take. And, and I, I watched her drive away and it was fine. And back in my room, I got incredibly sad and I started to cry, to weep in a way uncontrollably that was really surprising to me. I, I had this deep, deep, deep sadness. I had no idea what it was about. It was so surprising to me. For, for the time that I'd been in retreat, my body, my heart were, and my mind were really very, very still, completely still in a way. But somehow when my, when my friend asked me about a message to send to John, I realized that my, my heart or my mind or maybe a combination of the two had somehow gone from my husband, whose name was John, to my father, whose name was John. And I relived the story, a, a, a very um, tender and sad story of being five years old and my mother leaving my father for a very, really good reason. And back in that five-year-old child, I, became, I, I came back to that experience of feeling abandoned. And with the stillness of my mind and my heart and my body, the experience blew itself open. And I was back at that abandoned five-year-old child. Every time I sat down to meditate, incredible sadness rolled over me and it took about five days for um, to be able to meditate and have the crying stop. About four days later, uh, my mind opened in meditation and there was the presence of a five-year-old girl who presented herself and went away and then another, and then another, and then another, and then another. Five-year-old girls of all races and nationalities and from all around the world. And I realized these were all five-year-old girls in my mind who had been abandoned. And after about, I don't know how long it was of seeing these really beautiful five-year-old faces and really sad, what I began to understand was that the abandonment that I had taken so seriously so and so personally was a universal experience. That the, that abandonment had been, uh, had been 
experienced over eons, eons, by many, many five-year-old girls over eons of mothers having to leave their daughters for a variety of reasons. And I understood in that moment of suffering that even though we take it as something very personal and indeed experience it personally, this sadness, this sorrow, this mourning is universal and not personal. Even though we experience it as personal, it's universal. It's not ours. In other words, we are all given a certain amount of suffering and we're asked to bear it. And so I'd like to use that as the underpinning of our consideration today of um, compassion. That we can move it out from, include ourselves and yet move this whole understanding of suffering and compassion, not as something that happens to me, but as something that happens to us. This is from Pir Vilyat Khan, who is a Sufi teacher. He says, overcome any bitterness that may have come because you were not up to the magnitude of the pain that was entrusted to you. Like the mother of the world who carries the pain of the world in her heart, each one of us is part of her heart. And therefore, each is endowed with a certain measure of cosmic pain. You are sharing in the totality of that pain and called upon to meet it in joy instead of self-pity. We are sharing in the totality of that pain and are called upon to meet it in joy instead of self-pity. So we have a deep connection as, as members of the human race we have this deep connection in the sharing of the pain. Of course, this also applies to joys as, as uh, Martine so beautifully taught this morning, that we share in the joys and the sorrows of being human and being alive. So we're able to express compassion, not in a contrived way, but we're able to meet it with open eyes, and open ears and with an open heart. That's the appropriate response. The Chan ancestor in the sixth century was asked by a monk, what is the meaning of Zen? And he said, appropriate response. It's so simple. And that's what I, that's the context in which I'd like to consider this understanding of compassion that it's appropriate response when we encounter sorrow, when we encounter pain. And it's not turning away or shunning or thinking there's something wrong because there's suffering, but because we know we're able to invite what is needed to be done. So the classic texts refer to compassion as a quivering of the heart in response to suffering. Calm with passion, suffering, to feel with, to, uh, to feel with the suffering of ourselves and that sense of connection where the suffering of another is not separate from our own. Because compassion opens the heart, discovers, it dissolves, it dissolves cruelty, it dissolves selfishness and narrow-mindedness. We say, may all beings be free from suffering and be free from the causes of suffering. And the foundational level is empathy, being with calm, passion, being with suffering, towards the pain, we move towards it. When it sees suffering, it's moved to concern and to care. It's not pity. 
the far enemy of um, metta is hate is hatred, and the near enemy is attachment. In the same way, the far enemy of compassion is cruelty, and the near enemy is pity. So we don't we're not pitying in compassion. We're actually feeling with. We we don't think this person is different from us. We know that this person is a part of us, is with us. They're not over there and we have a distant feeling. They're, it's close up, we understand it because we know we have felt something similar, maybe not the same thing. Our wisdom deeply knows the universality and we want to relieve the suffering. That's, what, that's how the heart responds. So compassion is that response to the suffering of wanting to help relieve it. And we can feel the suffering as we did, as I did with the suffering of the other five-year-old girls who had suffered something similar because we're part of the same web and the same air. So this is from Mary Oliver called In Praise of Craziness of a Certain Kind. On cold evenings, my grandmother with ownership of half her mind, the other half having flown back to Bohemia, spread newspapers over the porch floor. So she said the garden ants can crawl beneath as under a blanket and keep warm. And what shall I wish for myself? But being so struck by the lightning of years, to be like her with what is left, that loving. So we set the intention to relieve suffering by reflecting on what we want to see in our lives. What is our lodestar? Is it envy? Is it cruelty or kindness and care? We always have a choice and it needs a conscious intention to set the direction. Where will we incline the mind? Wherever the Buddha said we put the mind, that's where it will incline. Where we put it over and over and over again, the neuroscientists say it will begin to naturally incline. It's easy to turn away from suffering, to distract ourselves, to ignore it. Sometimes it's too painful for, our, for us to bear ourselves. And so we do want to turn away. But in the long run, it's only ourselves that we are ignoring when we do that. One part of the organism is hurting. As Shantideva said, and the rest of the organism, the organism turns away. So the obstacles to, um, to, to compassion are pity and cruelty and avoidance. So a very important aspect is turning, turning the mind towards the suffering rather than away from it. What do we do often when we feel pain as we run away, we turn away, we numb ourselves, we push it away, we use all of the avoidance and the denial strategies we have because we don't want to feel it. Of course, we would rather feel joy. But the problem is that the strategy doesn't always work. Ajahn Chah said, there are uh, my teacher's teacher said, there are two kinds of suffering. The suffering you refuse to face and it just grows. And the suffering you turn to that, you turn to that ends suffering. So it's our choice because it's impossible to ever fully escape it. So it's wiser to turn towards it, to feel it. I, I worked several, for many years in a um, prison, a, a high security prison for women um, as, a, as a Buddhist chaplain. And I was given the assignment to work in the hospital, which was, you know, people with cancer and kidney failure and all of it. And I, it was such a beautiful um, 
training for me to really be able to sit with people who were in just profound, profound suffering, not only from the disease, but from loneliness and from being um, alone and, and, and knowing that the, uh, the medical care they were getting was substandard. And to be able to actually sit with them and perhaps to laugh from time to time and, and to help them find what they needed for their support was a, was a high and tremendous honor and privilege. To be able to teach um, the ability to, to feel loving kindness, not just for themselves and their, and their conditions, but also to feel compassion for others who were in similar circumstances and in dire circumstances. So when we're feeling um, overcome with pain and sadness and loss and grief and terror, they can be met with this intention of karuna, of compassion, with simple phrases perhaps of may I be free from pain and suffering. May I hold the suffering with ease. I care that I'm suffering. I care about your suffering. May it end. These are all aligned responses. We stay with the difficulty rather than trying to fix it. We know awareness practice teaches us to stay present and steady in the face of difficulty. We learn how to stay with it so that an embracing quality of the heart can take it in. But sometimes it's overwhelming and it's too much, so we can take a break. So we know the obstacles to compassion can be pity and cruelty. The inner, the inner critic of perfectionism, of pushing away, of disconnecting from ourselves and avoidance. So this learning can be directed not just to others, but also to be being kind with ourselves, to feeling compassion for our own suffering, not just the su suffering of others. We need to learn that, to speak to ourselves in a kind way, because sometimes we can find ourselves addressing ourselves cruelly when we're ill or we're sad or we're disappointed or we're upset. And we need to learn to notice that and to learn how not to do that, to speak to ourselves in a kind way, as if we were speaking to someone about whom we cared. So we learn to let go of the judgmental quality and the, critic, and the criticism, the self-criticism, just as we would if we encountered someone who was suffering, that we wouldn't, and we wouldn't meet that with criticism or telling them to just cut it out or stop it, but we would more want to embrace and to feel a kind of um, care. May you be free from suffering. May you hold the suffering with ease. I care that you're suffering. I care that I'm suffering and may it end. So we learn how to, um, how to work with it. So I know that I've um, gone a little bit longer than usual today, and I apologize for that, but I'd just like to close with uh, when you, with a, a quote from Trungpa Rinpoche, when he says, when you awaken your heart, you find to your surprise that your heart is empty. You find that you're looking into outer space. What are you? Who are you? Where is your heart? If you really look, you won't find anything tangible and solid. Of course, you might find something very solid if you have a grudge against someone or you have fallen possessively in love. But that is not awakened heart. If you search for it, you put your hand through your rib cage and feel for it. There is nothing there except for tenderness. You will feel sore and soft. And if you open your eyes to the world, you will feel tremendous sadness. 
You don't feel sad because someone has insulted you or because you feel impoverished. Rather, this experience of sadness is unconditioned, occurring because your heart is completely exposed. There is not skin or tissue covering it. It is pure raw meat. Even if a tiny mosquito lands on it, you feel so touched. Your experience is raw and tender and so personal. For the warrior, this experience of sad and tender heart is what gives birth to fearlessness, which means that you are not afraid or that if someone hits you, you will hit him back. However, we're not talking about that street fighter level of fearlessness. Real fearlessness is the product of tenderness. You're willing to open up without resistance or shyness and face the world. So if we're to awaken, we must find a way to open uh, to the mystery of this incarnation with its unspeakable beauty, with its great tragedy and everything in between. That is a way to see it clearly and to live wisely. And it's the gift of compassion, this ability to be with suffering, to know it, to turn it in your hands, and to feel with it, to soften with it, and to feel that tender heart. So thank you for listening, and let's sit together. Perhaps if you want to take a moment to just stretch, because we've been sitting for a little while, give you a minute or so to do that. So of course, find a um, comfortable position, a way to sit that is at ease and is, uh, aware and alert you take a deep breath you just stay with the awareness of your breath for a couple of moments just knowing the in-breath and the out-breath the receiving and sending out that is the process of breath, that which keeps us alive. Notice whether the breath is deep or short or, or long, short or shallow. And visualizing, if you can, someone for whom you deeply care. <clears throat> can you reflect on that person's life? Someone to whom you are close, so that you can reflect on that person's life, whether it's a parent or a child or a sister or a brother or a dear friend. And seeing that person in the midst of their life, there are ways that they have suffered because as human beings, none of us escapes that experience. You can reflect on how they've suffered in the past. And if it's possible for you, you can 
use this in the second person and say you have felt alone, afraid and confused at times, addressing yourself to this person. Your life may not have turned out or certainly has not always turned out the way in which you had envisioned it would. You've known the pain of loss, of grief, and of fear. And I know that. I wish for you to be well and happy and peaceful. May no harm come to you. May no difficulties come to you. May no problems come to you. May you always meet with success, however you define it. May you also have patience and courage and understanding and determination to meet the inevitable difficulties, problems, and failures in life. And may you overcome them. You don't have to try to produce a feeling or to make something happen but keep your wishes simple for this beloved being whom you know has had suffering in life. And make a wish, may you love and may you be loved. May you find the healing that you seek. May you love and be loved. May you find the healing that you seek. And can you repeat that and deeply feel the meaning of that in your own life as well as in the life of this being? May you love and be loved. And may you find the healing that you seek. Now visualize yourself sitting there. Reflect on your own life. And perhaps include whatever suffering you feel you have suffered. Whatever feelings of suffering have come to you through whatever experiences from being in this human body. And considering the pain and the suffering that you have endured, you can either silently speak out, speak these um, wishes, or you can sp speak it silently or you can speak it out loud. You have suffered in the past. You have felt alone afraid and confused at times. But 
your life has not always turned out the way you had envisioned it. You have known the pain of loss and grief and fear. I wish for you, and you are still addressing yourself, to be peaceful and happy and well. May no harm come to you. May no difficulties come to you. May whatever problems come to you be soluble. May you always meet with success in whatever form success may take. May you have patience and courage and understanding, determination, determination to meet and overcome the inevitable difficulties and problems and failures in life, because they are inevitable for every human being. May you love and be loved. May you find the healing that you seek. May you love and be loved and find the healing that you seek. And now visualize someone with whom you've had conflict. Reflect on that person's life as much as you can or as well as you can and see how they too have suffered. And while considering the pain that they have endured Please silently speak the following. Through our association, I have felt pain, much pain. I realize you too have suffered in the past. You have felt alone, afraid, and confused at times. Your life has not always turned out the way in which you have had envisioned it would. You have known the pain of loss and grief and fear. I wish for you to be peaceful, well, and happy. May no harm come to you. May no difficulties come to you. May no problems come to you. May you always meet with success. May you have patience and courage and understanding and determination to meet and overcome the inevitable difficulties, problems, and failures in life. May you love and be loved.
may you find the healing that you seek. May you love and be loved. May you find the healing that you seek. May you love, be loved. May you find the healing that you seek. And then finally, opening your uh, perspective to include the whole world. This world of sadness and difficulty, especially in this pandemic time, the millions of people that are suffering from this pandemic which does not suspend the suffering of human beings in other ways. May all living beings be well, happy and peaceful. May no harm come to any of us. May no difficulties come to any of us. May no problems come to any of us. May each and every one of us meet with success in the ways that we wish that are harmless to others. May we all have patience and courage and understanding. And may we have the determination to meet and overcome the inevitable difficulties, problems, and failures in life. May all beings everywhere Love and be loved. May all beings everywhere find the healing that they seek. May all beings love and be loved. May all find the healing that they seek. Now bring your attention to your breath. And see to what extent and to what degree your heart may become a vehicle for compassion for everyone in the world, especially now, who is experiencing pain, sorrow, and suffering of any kind. Feel that breath, feel your breath in the area of your chest as if you could breathe in and out of your heart. And see to what extent it is possible to feel the caring in your heart for all of those who are suffering right now. Not just in pandemic ways, but those who are imprisoned, those who have lost loved ones, 
all of the various ways in which human beings meet suffering. And with each in-breath, breathe in, breathe in all of the sorrows and the pains. And you can visualize that as black smoke if you would like, just dark smoke that can be breathed in. And with each out-breath, breathe out compassion that reaches their innermost hearts. And you can visualize that as rays of light. If you're not a visualizing kind of person, it doesn't matter, you don't need to do it. So we're breathing in the sorrows and the pain, and breathing out deep compassion Breathing in the sorrows of those who are hungry and breathe out compassion for their faith, for their pain, with a wish that they be fed, be nourished. And if tears come, those are tears of connection. Breathe in the sorrows of those who are ill with COVID, their families. And breathe out compassion for their terror. Breathe out compassion for their weakness and for their despair. Breathe in the sorrow of those who are dying. And breathe out compassion for the fear, the sadness. Breathe in the sorrow for all the pain you may have caused in the world. And breathe out compassion for all those whom you may have hurt. And then with each in-breath, let the sorrows of all living beings touch your heart. And with every out-breath, feel the healing force of your compassion, spreading outwards into the world and touching every being.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.